Evening everyone. A bit cooler now, isn't it? Um, this is a brief talk tonight. I haven't got a particular name for it. But um, <clears throat> one well-known Zen story, which you might have read, is called Gute's Finger. You heard about Gute's Finger? That's uh, well, a pretty grisly story. <laughs> But uh, there was a, a well-known Zen teacher in Tang Dynasty, China, called Gute. And like a lot of monks, he kind of struggled through his practice until he came to a sense of despair and a sort of a dead end that he would never really understand Zen and felt a, a great sort of shame and embarrassment about it in front of his teacher. And his teacher saw that he was really stuck and one day he went, Gute. He lifted up his finger, like that, Gute became enlightened. And so that became his um, signature teaching all through his life. So when he had his own temple and anyone ever came up and asked him a question about Zen. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine if I did that. Every time he comes in, we're done. Good teaching. Great teaching. Anyway, in the story, there was a, um, a young boy in, in the monastery and um, he saw Gute teaching like this and so he used to go around the temple <laughs> doing this all the time and, uh, and Gute saw that he was imitating him and one day he, he saw the boy, you know, putting up his finger like that so he cut off the boy's finger. <laughs> I told you it was a grisly story. But it has a happy ending. Um, and then after the boy had his finger cut off, do you know, and he's, you know, aching, um, Gute called his name and the boy looked up and he went, and the boy was enlightened. <laughs> um, that's a fairly, that, that's what we call in Zen grandmotherly kindness. Uh, um, but maybe a gentler story along the same lines, which is where actually the, this non-discursive way of teaching, which is um, peculiar to Zen, um, originates from, you know, it sort of goes back to the Buddha's time when the Buddha had this large assembly and uh, he had a flower in his hand and he didn't give a usual Dharma talk of explaining the sutras and so on. He said, I can't remember the exact words, but he held up the flower and twirled the flower and said, I, I have the treasury of the, the true Dharma. And everyone went, huh? What's he mean? And it was only Mahakashapa, who was this old monk up the back of, back of the audience, smiled, a broad smile. And the, um, the Buddha said, kind of implied, you know, that Mahakashapa understands the true teaching and he handed on the first Dharma transmission to him. But... Um, they're all teachings around, they're all non-discursive, non-intellectual, non-interpretive, non-speculative, simple teachings. They're so simple and yet people find it hard to, to understand it. Um, Joko, in some of her Dharma talks, I remember, used to say that there's two questions which pe take people down the wrong path towards delusion and suffering. 
when something adverse, adverse happens in their life, something difficult happens in their life, the two questions that, that, that most people tend to ask when something like that happens is why is it happening to me and who is to blame? Mm -hmm. And if you keep asking those questions, he, I think she referred them as to the two delusory questions. If you keep asking those questions, you'll go down you know, labyrinths of pain and anguish and you'll, you'll go nowhere. And um, really the alternative question is, what is really happening right now when adversity occurs? Um, I remember uh, an example of this years ago. Um, Diana had a, a mentor and a teacher called um, Erica Whitaker, who was a first-generation Alexander teacher. And so she had practiced her form of Alexander mindfulness for many, many years and, in, and embodied it. And... Um, and she was in her 80s, I think, when this occurred, but she was walking across a pedestrian crossing in Melbourne um, on a very hot summer's day, and a, and a car hit her. And I think she ended up breaking her hip, if I remember correctly. But she, when she was recounting what happened, and she recalled what happened, she said, she said what happened is that, um, you know, I was knocked over, and the first thing I noticed was that the road was hard and it was warm. <laughs> that kind of experience, that kind of here and now, just plain factual experience. Um, in my psychotherapy practice, I've had people who um, have anguished over a, a very complex kind of grieving for years and years where someone they loved died and then they were blamed for their death when they weren't to blame for it and they had a whole kind of confusion of anger and guilt, you know, that they carried for ten years. Mm -hmm. I think of one particular man whose wife died of cancer. And he came in one session after seeing me for quite a number of sessions and I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to him about this, it just came from within him. But he came into the session, and, and the right at the very beginning of the session, he said, it's kind of resolved now. Mary died, and she died of cancer. End of story. Mm -hmm. And it's coming back to that, that sort of factual here and now um, essence of what life is, is what we, we so often bypass, you know, particularly when adversity occurs. And um, in, any, in any kind of process when some kind of adversity happens to you, it's really important just to, just to stay at first with the fact of what happened. Right? If you get hit by a car, something like that. Um, and then maybe when, you, when you've just stayed with the fact of it, you can, the fact of it is also the emotions that might rise out of it. So you're staying with the fact of what happened and the fact of the emotions that came out of it. And maybe later on you might want to interpret and try and make sense of what happened, but don't live in the making sense of it because you can never make sense of anything. You, know? you, know, you never really can. You have your guesses and your hunches and so on. But And like doing couple therapy, you often see people caught up in trying to make sense of why their partner left and left them or whatever and you can try and unravel it a bit 
but but sometimes you find that um, it's really it is important for people to try and make sense of things like that. But you find people just become um, obsessive about it. Do you know? And it's not a healthy thing to do. The fact is, their partner left them. That's the fact of it. I've also told you this funny story too, which is worth repeating. Um, but when I lived in uh, when we lived in um, Hobart, and I walked into a a newspaper store one morning to buy a newspaper and a woman who I'd never met before came up to me like in front of me eyeball to eyeball and said, G'day asshole <laughs> and I never I never met her before. I didn't know what she was talking about. And um, it was one of those moments when when um, I kind of was so surprised by it that um, I just stayed with the fact of it. I was just being called an asshole by a woman I hadn't met before. You know? And um, that's like, that's the same, twirling the flower. You know? um, when, those, when, when you just meet those things as a, as a fact of life, they can be kind of funny. You know? Or if not funny, they can be they can be poignant without adding, adding anything extra onto it. You know, the egocentricity which is added onto it. So this, this is how to really practice the Dharma in everyday life, particularly when adversity happens. <coughs>